Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls, step right up. Behind this curtain lies a ghastly concoction of delight, horror, fantasy, and terror. Your every wish is our command. Your every whimsical desire brought to life. But I'm warning you, there's always a price. Welcome to the greatest show on And welcome back, boils and ghouls, ladies and germs, to an all-new episode of Talking Terror. It is Christmas, everybody. So Merry Christmas to all of you out there who celebrate. Happy Hanukkah to all of you out there to celebrate that, because that's still going on. I think Kwanzaa's right around the corner, Ramadan, all those holidays that are celebrated around this time. So happy holidays to everybody. I'm your old pal, the King of Horror, Andy G, welcoming you back to this end-of-the-year episode. This is the final episode of Talking Terror for 2019, and we're closing it out with my pick of the year, which is Deep Red from 1975, directed by the one and only Dario Argento, Profondo Rosso to some, Hatchet Murders to others, and Sabretooth Tiger if Argento got his way. But without further ado, I am joined by that psychotic Simeon himself, the Mad Monkey. <laughs> Merry Christmas! <laughs> That's right, Fright fans. Satan's little helpers got the night off, <laughs> the holiday's over, and here we are, broadcasting to you, because that's what we do here at Talking Terror. We keep this shit rolling. All right. So, yeah, I'm excited for a fright-filled, fun-filled episode here where we are definitely going to be covering Deep Red later. But, yeah, feel free to sit there and pull, pull up some earbuds, listen in as we do our Christmas special for you folks at home. That's right. We're going to be hanging around the studio. Lots of guests like Bob Newhart and shit like that are going to be stopping by for unnecessary cameos. Why? Because they need a paycheck, and we need bodies to fill this episode. So listen in because this is going to be exciting. How are you doing this Christmas, King? <laughs> I'm doing just fine. Yeah, Bob Newhart's supposed to stop by around 10. George Lucas around 10.30. So, yeah, we got a whole episode of stars that are going to be coming through. Steven Spielberg's going to call in. It is a Christmas oh, yeah. special that you do not want to miss. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But we are Rob in the Zombie, <laughs> Yeah, and Rob Zombie himself might be coming down the chimney at the end of the episode. So you better listen throughout be. the entire thing. <laughs> I heard he's coming. He's got a baggie full of goods for us, and he's going to play a song off of one of his albums. It's going to be fun. And unfortunately, the Demonic Doctor Dave and the Gorby Keith have to miss it. So you just have to have me and the monkey here with you on Christmas night to talk about Deep Red, among other things. But we're happy to have you here with us. (laughs) Yes, we are very excited. Um, Now, King, it is Christmas, and I heard that you got a couple goodies for Christmas. I did. I did indeed. Uh, so, you know, every year uh, I usually get a couple of horror things from my aunt in California. Uh, this year she sent me an Elm Street sign to hang up in my apartment, a.k.a. the Winchester, and also a wacky <laughs> bobblehead of Freddy Krueger. So that's really cool. Uh, my mother usually tries to get me some horror things, and she got me uh, one on the Freight Racks, which is one of my favorite horror T-shirt websites. If you guys want quality uh, horror T-shirts, Freight Rags, one of my favorites. So. I go to open it up, and it is a Stephen King feature. So it's Stephen King, an illustration of the man himself, and all of the references to all of his books. Now, I'm loving this shirt. 
happy with it, love it, can't believe I have a Stephen King t-shirt, it's a Fright Rags, high quality, but my mother, of all people, you know, being the sweetheart that she is, she went on the Fright Rags site unseen, saw that they had King of Horror t-shirts, so she thought, well, my son is the King of Horror on his podcast, I'm going to buy him a shirt, it's going to say King of Horror, he's going to love it, it's going to be great. She gets the package delivered, opens it up, and she goes, why the fuck is Stephen King on this shirt? What is this? Like, this is what? Oh, my God. What did I do? What did I do? Do I return it? Do I give it to him? I don't know. It's supposed to be the King of Horror, and it says the King of Horror on the label, but this is Stephen King. And she was freaking out the entire time, not knowing what to do. So she wrapped it, gave it to me, and just kind of hoped that either, A, I didn't have it, or B, would just understand what it is. And I did, and I loved it. It's a fantastic T-shirt. Uh, one of my many friends. <laughs> Love it though. It's like just you know, <laughs> your mom is just like, hey, my son's the king of horror. Look at that. They've got a king of horror T-shirt. I'm gonna pick that up for him. I didn't realize he was that big. All right. I knew the show was picking up and they're getting fans, but apparently they've got shirts out now too. This is awesome. I'm gonna get him his own shirt. <laughs> I, I don't know. Well, what, I don't what, know what, what, what the fuck is? <laughs> what the fuck is <laughs> King doing on here? <laughs> Yeah, she's like, there's just a big illustration of Stephen King and a bunch of his book references. I didn't see King of Horror anywhere on this shirt, except for the tag. I was like, well, they don't make King of Horror t-shirts just for me just yet. We're not that famous yet. One day. One day, Fright Rags will be talking to their t-shirts. And then she could buy an official King of Horror or Mad Monkey or Ghoul Geek or the Demonic Doctor t-shirt. We're not quite there yet. 2020. No, but... But 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 Fright Rags, if you're listening, we are definitely open to sponsorship. So if you want to contact us, Absolutely. or or anybody who wants to contact uh, uh, sponsor the Talking Terror podcast, feel free to hit us up on our Facebook page. Where our contact info is there, and we'll be more than happy to talk to you about sponsorship options. <laughs> oh, I would love it. I would love it to death if one of these sites like Shutter that we always talk about are Fright Rags, Cavity Colors, Terror Threads. Putting it out there, guys. I'm sure somebody from your company is listening. If you want to get sponsorships, we'll wear the shit out of your shirts, and you're going to appreciate it. So, anybody, come on, sponsorships. That's the biggest and your, thing. And your sales are going to bloody well skyrocket when you sit there and tag team with Talking Terror. Let me tell you. They're going to be buying the yachts like it's going out of style with the amount of money they're going to make off our podcast. Oh, yeah. It's going to be nothing but cocaine <laughs> and yachts as far as the eye can see. That's what we bring oh, to the table. Here at Talking Terror. Man, just, just rolling on your yachts down in Miami. It's like, are they drug dealers? Nope. <laughs> Their partner with Talking Terror. <laughs> That's how it is. If you get a sponsorship with Talking Terror. <laughs> the SS Talking Terror right over there. All aboard, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> this is your captain, the King of Horror, speaking. <laughs> Big ass ship from Ghost Ship. <laughs> that's, that's our swag. All painted on the front. Just looks ominous as fuck, but you still want to get on it. Just because we have piles of cocaine and, like, and you know, uh, designer drugs. <laughs> that seems like it's a party ship, but it looks like deadly. I don't know. But it looks fun. We we have Goblin playing live on the lower deck, you know? <laughs> oh, please, yeah. They're definitely going to be there in some capacity. And Tim Capello is going to be on top. He's going to be throwing a concert at midnight. <laughs> oh, hell we yeah. We have bands. <laughs> yeah, yeah we, so we've, we definitely got, have we've got – we, 
we have, we have everything lined up. We just don't have the money for it just yet. No, <laughs> but no. we have everything lined up. <laughs> we have plans. We have big dreams in 2020. Big dreams, big plans. We just need the money. <laughs> if anybody out there has this excess cash just laying around, they're like, you know what? I need to get away with this money. The government's going to be tracking it. I need to know what to do with it. Give it to us. We'll put it to good use. Yeah. We'll find something to do with it. Yeah. We'll give it a home. <laughs> yeah. We will make sure work. But... We will include you. We'll be like an MTV rap video. <laughs> I'm on a boat doing flips and shit. I'm on... <laughs> That's goddamn right it is. But uh, you, Bucky, so, uh, you know, celebrating with the diva and evil lair, uh, you got a glorious double pack of PBR hard yeah. coffee, which is fucking brilliant, guys. Yeah. If you have not tried PBR yeah. hard coffee, high recommend. It is just brilliant. Uh, yeah, it was just a thing of I was getting. We woke up early. I was getting ready to do a coffee run for us, and the Devo was like, oh, can you get me a glass of water out of the fridge? And I was like, sure. Open up the fridge, and yep, there's uh, two cases of PBR hard coffee, and yeah, I was just surprised as hell, especially because we said we weren't going to get each other anything this year. Um, You know, we were saving it for our son, but she she was just like, ha-ha, surprise. (laughs) It was 9 o'clock. and. And I was like, Pop it's it. nine o'clock. I, n- I normally don't drink before noon, but I was like, it's a holiday. It's coffee. All right. <laughs> and I immediately cracked one open. And it's just if yeah, you have not had the P- if you have yeah, and if you have not had the PBR coffee, ser- seriously, give it a shot again. PBR, you know, feel free to sponsor this show. Um, <laughs> it's just. A lovely taste of just chocolate and vanilla, you know, because it is a coffee drink that happens to be infused with PBR, 5% alcohol. So, like, best way I can describe it is it's, you know, uh, when you're drinking it, it's, it's pretty much like um, a liquid bourbon ball. Because when you're drinking it, you get nothing but ch- chocolate, but then you get that uh, little bit of you know, kind of like a burn of alcohol on the back end. So it's kind of like a bourbon bowl. <laughs> but you drink it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's got the vanilla in it and like a little bit of whipped cream, but you get that beer aftertaste, but it's just like you don't know you're drinking beer when you're drinking it. Even when you mm-hmm. bought me that little four-pack, I was like, oh, man. <laughs> it's like, this is good shit. So PBR, please. <laughs> we will hand out hard golf to all the listeners. <laughs> First five listeners. <laughs> if you sponsor us, 2020 goals, everybody. Mm. <laughs> That's what we're talking about here tonight. Okay. Um, <laughs> what are you going to say, Mike? Yeah, but yeah, 2020 goals, but then uh, just wanted to take a minute with you so that you could reflect back on 2019. I do want to do that, but I want to put you first because I want you to talk about what, what you've been talking about the past uh, uh, couple of weeks, I guess, with The Mandalorian. Why don't you give us a rundown yeah. of that before I get into the 2019 <laughs> picks of horror films? Because that's okay. going to take up a little bit of time. So I want you to get with The Mandalorian first. All right. Um, yeah. Th- this week we had an early – because of Rise of the Skywalkers, we had an early release of Mandalorian. It released on Wednesday, uh, Chapter 7. And, yeah, I was really excited about this episode, man, because th- – 
I've been having a great time with this show so far, but the fanboys have started to whine, you know, because Star Wars fanboys, uh, I'm one of them, but I don't like them. <laughs> um, started to whine about the show, about where's it going, because every episode is just a, you know, a one-off story. You know, where, where's the grand story arc? Where's this going? <laughs> and as if, it like, to respond to this, <laughs> Chapter 7 dropped. And I was like, oh, you want to know where this is going? All right, well, we're going to fuck up your little world here, and we're get, definitely going to drop you in the shit. And, yeah, <laughs> Chapter 7 really picked up. Some major shit went down. Um, yeah, and it's just, yeah, again, having a great time with this. Baby Yoda! Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, having a, still having a great time with this. And, yeah, I can't wait to see how this series goes. But it, again, if you have not jumped on to the wagon train here of uh, Mandalorian, definitely give it a shot. You will not be disappointed if you are a Star Wars fan. Okay, that's okay. all well, I'm gonna say. Henry, that, that's Henry. all I'm gonna say about the Mandalorian right now. <laughs> okay, well that's fine because my hand is raised because, as you know, I'm not a, a Star Wars fan by any means. I, I've seen some of them, not all of them. Uh, it's kind of interesting, though, that you bring up The Mandalorian, how it's not linear, how it's a kind of a story of the week. Uh, by saying you're dropped into the shit, does that mm-hmm. mean that they're tying you in with Rise yeah. of Skywalker, or they're just doing their own uh, thing? Uh, all right. Well, first of all, it is linear, okay? Um, okay. It is. You know, okay. it's, it's – it's, yeah, but it's um, – the, the first couple ep- episodes, you can juggle them around a little bit, but it – but things co- – come. Things that were happening in the earlier episodes tie back together into this grand episode. Like, I really wish this episode was twice as long as it was. Um, but it drops you into the shit because the storyline takes a major change of pace of um, – while it's linear, each episode is its own episode for the most part. Um, and it's still a good time, but then major stuff happens. Unfortunately, no, it – it did not tie into um, Rise of the Skywalkers just because storyline-wise, Mandalorian takes place six to seven years after a- Episode Six, Return of the Jedi. The okay. episodes Episode Seven, Eight, Nine take place twenty to thirty years after the original trilogy. So that means the, the two probably aren't going to be able to overlap each other. Just because of time okay. references. This is because Mandalorian, again, is immediately after the fall of the Empire in episode six. So, yeah, you know, that's what we're getting. But as, as far as in the shit, it's just the, the laid back, semi laid back feel of the show it, it takes a tragic turn and then, you know, def, definitely stomps on the gas and is like, all right, now we're taking you for a ride. <laughs> okay. All right. So he's definitely. Still in it, still invested. Uh, and I saw that the diva was actually checking in Harley Quinn. So did you check it out with her, or was that a solo effort on her part? Oh no, we've both been watching them because uh, I, yeah, I went ahead and downloaded those for her, so she could check. Uh, okay. it. Well, I downloaded them for I, I downloaded them for me per your suggestion, and then when I said mm-hmm. hey, I'm going to check out the new Harley Quinn show, she was like, "Well, me too," just because she's a Batman <laughs> fan. And yeah, right. we're both having a we're both having a great time with it. Um, she was laughing her ass off during the C word episode. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and 
yeah, I, it's like all I gotta say is Kite Man. <laughs> oh, fucking Hell Kite yeah. Man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just Yeah, it's just, and he's making it fun. It's, they're, they're doing some really fun things with him. Well, yeah, and that's why I love the feel of Harley Quinn. It's not taking itself too seriously. It's having fun. It's just over-the-top cursing mm. and violence. Uh, mm. The most recent episode with Damian Wayne as Robin, I thought was hilarious, <laughs> because actually having a 12-year-old voice him, and he was Harley oh. Quinn's nemesis. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah, it was great that they actually had a kid doing a kid's voice. Like, it just made it that much worse. Um <laughs> about that supposedly being your nemesis and it's just I'm really enjoying the feel of this show so far just because it seems like the writers are definitely doing their research and definitely having a lot of fun with their research into the DC universe and they're pulling out some you know weird stuff out of anywhere because again Damian Wayne you know was from the new 52 series while then you know Kite Man was from 60s Batman and then they uh mentioned the Legion of Doom so again now we're going 70s and 80s super friends like they're going all over the place but they that's the fun thing about the show is they they have no problem pulling from any DC universe to to make this series happen yeah, and to introduce uh, King Shark as a tech genius, where he's kind of nerdy, you know, wearing a hoodie and cargo shorts, <laughs> you know, and if I get near blood, I can't be around it, just saying. Oh, I thought it was an icky thing. I thought he got all fainty. I didn't realize he would turn psychotic and to bring in the 60s reference to Batman with the shark repellent. <laughs> like, like yeah. You said, these yeah. are definitely research. Yeah, it's, it's, as soon as the shark repellent came out, you know, Lainey was all, you know, squealing with fangirl anticipation because she, she loves the 60s Batman. So as soon as that came out, she was all, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a It's a great show, and that's streaming every Friday on the DC Streaming Network. They had a joke in the last episode about how the Daily Planet online subscription is $7.99 a month, and the ghoul was cracking up about that because DC online, to get that streaming service, is $7.99 a month. Oh, using it on the show <laughs> as fodder for a joke, it just kind of makes it even better that they're actually poking fun at the price point for the DC streaming service. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, man. <laughs> now, yeah, it's, it's a, yeah, it was, yeah. Go ahead, King. What were you saying? No, I think it's it's a, a just a fun show. I'm glad that you guys are enjoying it. And you know, I know sometimes my tastes don't line up with you and the goal, but. Once the ghoul saw it and thought it was hilarious, I was like, well, I know that the monkey's going to enjoy it. <laughs> How could you not? Full of curses, oh, full yeah, of was, violence. Just over the top. Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> I was fucking rolling, man. And, uh, I'm, and I'm really enjoying, like, on a serious note with this show, about how this show is, like, the backbone behind this show is concentrating on how Harley is trying to get away from a bad relationship and become her own person. And mm-hmm. just, because, just because this is something that you and I have talked about a lot with the whole Joker-Harley relationship 
is the amount of abuse abuse that Joker puts Harley through and the amount of young women that are out there that, you know, look at this and be like, I want that relationship. I want a relationship like Joker and Harley and, you know, and you and I are always like, no, bitch, you you know, you fucking don't. It's bad. That's, that's poison. That's not what you want to be looking towards. That's not what you want to aspire to, to, to have as a relationship. And I love that they're doing yeah. this and they're establishing Harley as herself and, and you know, talking seriously about what a terrible relationship it, she had with the Joker. Yeah, and that's what I talked about when I first brought up the show before you and Ghoul even uh, saw it, was that that first episode is so important because it shows you Harley being obsessed with the Joker and saying, he still loves me, he still cares about me. And Poison Ivy saying he doesn't give a shit about you. He just uses you and he yeah. uses you. And he sends you to Arkham and you're waiting for a fucking year for this guy to break you out and he doesn't show up. When are you going to get it through your head that he doesn't love you? When are you just going to move on from mm. him? I thought it was such a great, even though it's funny, it was just a great message about toxic relationships and how sometimes you just got to move on. Yeah. It's just not good for you and you need yeah. to discover yourself. Yeah, and then they keep bringing it up. Um you know, because la later on, I, I'm really enjoying how the whole thing of, you know, Har Harley gets the strength to be able to call it off and to break up the relationship. And then we have the, the uh, you know, frat boys, you know, jock asshole type guys, you know, <laughs> Legion of Doom, you know, and Joe Joker and all <laughs> his buddies. You know, Joker's going around, no, going, no, I dumped that bitch. You know, she didn't dump me. I dumped that bitch. And then everyone, you know, so again, even though she was able to get out, now she still has to fight for her own identity of, no, <laughs> I'm my own person. I broke up with him, and <laughs> he's fucking lying. You know, but yeah. no one will believe her because, you know, he's hanging out with his boys, and they only listen to him. Right. He's the Joker. You know, he's one of the heads of the Legion of Doom yeah. and the cartoon, so they have to listen to him. But moving away from Harley Quinn and Mandalorian, uh, New Mutants. What's on the news front with that, Monkey? Yeah. Well, New Mutants again has popped up because mm -hmm. they, they, they're trying to bring it up. You know, it, it, this is one of those movies that got lost in the shuffle between Fox and Disney. Unfortunately, this was thing was supposed to come out way back in April of 2018. It kept getting pushed back. It kept getting, you know, because of reshoots. Uh, I think it went through like three different directors. Um, there were yep. possible cast changes. Uh, the cast wasn't getting along. They were acting like a, you know, bunch of whiny little things. Um, and it's come out that they f finally finished doing their reshoots. They've we're doing a bunch of editing, and apparently this movie has finally gotten the bless gotten the blessing from Disney. And mm. this, finally. like, it, this, yeah, um, I don't know if they have, a, because again, of all the different reshoots, I don't know if this movie has veered away from its original idea which was it was supposed to be a very dark very dark horror themed movie of pretty much being trapped in a mute, uh, rehabilitation facility and you have this these cast of kids tr trying to work their way out you know it was it was very much you know ins insane asylum kind of thing and them trying to get, get out but 
you know, so, you know, hopefully they're going to stick with that and hopefully not water it down too much and try and turn it into a Disney Marvel movie. Hopefully they're going to keep a, a feel of a Fox Marvel movie here. But it is definitely slated for April 3rd of 2020. And okay. yeah, it's, uh, it has a date there. But also um, Marvel artist Bill Stankiewicz, uh however you say it. I'm sorry. I, I'm horrible with his name. Who was it, it, one of yeah. the artists. <laughs> yeah. But he, he was um, one of the artists who was on the original run of New Mutants. Uh, he was on definitely issues 18 through 21 during the Demon Bear storyline. He was later on <clears throat> during the episodes uh, oh, uh, around issues uh, 45 to 65, I believe, as well. Like he was on there for a good amount of the <clears throat> original run of one through one hundred, and he got uh, the director of the film contacted. Yeah, uh, Josh Boone contacted Sankowicz and sent him a trailer. So there is a trailer that's supposed to drop soon, but he sent the trailer to Sankowicz and uh, he was r- really excited about what he saw. He said it, it's. You know, it stuck close to his vision um, <clears throat> of what they were trying to build in the original series, and he's hoping that th- this is the field that's going to s- stick with the entire movie. And we should be seeing that trailer in January. That's the last news I heard. So, kicking off 2020 oh, okay. trailer for. So, we'll see. I mean, we have April of 2020 release. That's subject to change, as we've seen with this oh. before. <laughs> 1819, now 2020. So we're sticking to it. <clears throat> April 3rd, 2020, it's coming out. It's going to be great. But, again, yeah, we'll see. Because this is supposed to be, like you had said, Insane Asylum, almost like a horror film, the way that's going to be presented. Yep. But with Disney, you don't know if they're going to be adding their own touch where it's going to be, like, eh, you know, we're Disney. So let's do something fun. So hopefully they keep yeah. it in line with the box. And and that's one of the, the you know big speculations that the ghoul has always brought up is you know with <clears throat> Disney getting a hold of the Fox Marvel Universe now you know how much are they going to change and tweak and water down to make these projects that already exist out there with established casts blend into the Marvel Disney Universe. Right. Yeah, and we will see. I'm looking forward to seeing that trailer next month when it drops, whenever it does, beginning or end, I'm sure it's beginning. Uh, so we'll see. Yeah, hopefully. So I want to get into my top ten list of 2019 horror films that I watched because I watched so many this year that came out in 2019. Some of them made the list. Some of them didn't. I have some honorable mentions. So I'm going to run down my list. My list, of course, is up on the Talking Terror Facebook page. If you have your own top ten list that you want to include, absolutely do it. Uh, Tia Radke, a fan of ours, a dear good friend of mine, posted his top ten. So hopefully you guys do the same. So I'm just going to go run down this list. I'm not going to make it too long. Uh, So, okay, at number ten we have Satanic Panic, directed by Chelsea Stardust. Uh, Just something by surprise. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> love the horror, love the comedy. Rebecca Romaine, Jerry O'Connell, AJ Bowen. Uh, it's definitely worth a chance to check out because it's a great example of how to do an indie horror comedy and include satanic elements into it. And I know, like you had said, uh, Monkey, you had saw it. I was glad that you did. 
Yeah. All right. And number nine. Number nine, Brightburn, directed by Darren Urefsky. That was the evil superhero twist of a film that was more horror than anything else um, with James Gunn producing. It was kind of like an evil origin story of Superman, where what if somebody came to Earth from an alien planet and ended up turning evil? The gore effects were amazing. Elizabeth Banks was great in it. The the kid that played the Brightburn, amazing. I mean, it's just it was so evil and twisted. And I don't know if you had a chance to go check it out yet, Monkey, but definitely you should. I have it. I have not had a chance to watch it. I have it, but I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. Um, yeah, just just because I was cautious about how, you know, they they were gonna, you know, right. do this, you know, because because I I know it was a James Gunn project, but you know I hadn't really heard that much talk about whether it was great or not. But he, hearing that you dug it, then I'm definitely gonna be jumping on that very soon now. Yes, uh, the goal did as well. The goal will definitely second my opinion of Brightburn at number nine. At number eight, we have Jordan Peele's Us. Huge fan of this sophomoric effort by Jordan Peele about the tethered and about your exact clone opposite. Um, I know Monkey didn't quite land with you, but I definitely think for a sophomoric effort by Jordan Peele, it's worth checking out if you haven't checked out yet. Oh, yeah. It's it's one of those ones, though, that it's – you you gotta let that one marinate for a little while after you watch it, you know, and you you, you gotta let everything that you saw soak in, and then a day or two later, your your brain's not gonna stop thinking about it. That's the thing about this movie is after I saw it, I told you, you know, I I wasn't you know that into it, but then as as it marinated and it came time for us to talk about it on the show, you know, I was like, man, he actually threw a lot of deep shit in there, man, and yeah, it's you know off. The, you know, off the cuff, I wasn't too impressed. But then, as I thought more and more about it, yeah, it you know it sunk in that it is a very well written movie. Mm-hmm. Okay, number seven is Saint Agatha, directed by Darren Lynn Bowsman. Uh, this movie, if you don't know about it, it takes place in the 1950s. A pregnant runaway goes to a convent in Georgia, where a bunch of strange religious horror happens throughout. Great film, a lot of great visuals. Um, definitely takes its time with pace, but it has a lot of, like I said, great visuals, great suspense. I'm a huge sucker for anything religious when it comes to horror, and to see that they were actually doing it and that Darren Lynn Bowsman, who's worked on many of the Saw films, is behind it, worth checking. Satan, Satan! Oh, sorry, King. (laughs) No, it's it's wonderful. So if you guys have a chance to check out St. Agatha, I would definitely recommend, especially if you're like me and you like that religious horror aspect of it. I'm just a sucker for it. And not just possession, not like the exorcist, uh, but, you know, nuns in a convent and the fucked up shit that happens in it, much akin to, not really akin, but I would say like The Devils, the Ken Russell movie from the 70s. I just, I love fucked up nun movies. Nun exploitation is my favorite uh, exploitation (laughs) category. I could give a list. Did you just make make up that word? No, non exploitation is a thing. Google it, it comes up. Oh, okay. There's a ton of, of nun movies from the 70s and the 80s. A lot of them Italian, but they are just so twisted and fun and sexy, and they're just worth checking out. Uh, I wouldn't put St. Agatha in that category, but it's close. It, it touches. Um, so that was, uh, what was that, number seven? Uh, so I would say number six. Or, no, wait. I'm messing myself up here. <laughs> <laughs> man, 
Ten, okay, King, nine, you just finished eight, number seven. Seven, now you're moving on to number six. Right, so, yeah, I just wanted to make sure because I have, like, all the directors and shit like that uh, mixed in here. Uh, so my uh, number uh, six would be Child's Play, directed by Lars Klebberg. This was the quote-unquote remake of the Child's Play from 1988. Uh, I'm a, I got a soft spot for this one because it didn't go the direct remake route. It decided to do its own thing. Mark Hamill providing the voice of Chucky. I think there's a lot of fun to be had. I know a lot of people will kind of shit all over it because it's not their Chucky. It's not Brad Dorf. But if you just wipe away all that stuff and just watch it with a fresh mind, I think you're going to have a fun time. Yeah. It, that's, that's, that's the movie where when we talked about it, it's like it, it didn't need the name Child's Play. They used it as clickbait, you know, if you will, to, you know, to get people to look at it. But it's a it's a strong, fun movie, you know, that's got some great surprises, some funny-as-hell scenes in it, and, yeah, it's definitely worth a watch. Absolutely. Um, so number five, uh, Happy Death Day to You, which is a sequel to Happy Death Day directed by Christopher Landon, who came to direct the sequel. The same cast of characters show up for this one. I know that the ghoul was not as big of a fan of it as I was, but I'm just a sucker for these movies that are – Kind of like a love letter to 90s slashers, but adds a time travel element into it and other dimensions. Um, I was hoping that we would get a Happy Death Day uh, to, uh, Part 3. Doesn't look like it's going to happen. But Happy Death Day Aww. to you. It's a great companion. It's a great double feature night. If you just want to have fun, it's a popcorn movie. It's just don't take it too seriously. It's got a cool pop soundtrack. And, and if you're a fan of 90s slashers like I am, you're going to have a good time with Happy Death Day too. <laughs> So going into okay. number four is Crawl by Alexandre Aja, which was a Sam Raimi-produced film, and it takes place in Florida where there's a huge hurricane happening and gators escape through various different pipes, and we focus on a father and daughter that are stuck in their home and have to face off against an army of killer gators. Uh, CGI okay. is abound in this one, but it is fun. <laughs> Yeah, because I was going to ask you, King, it's like, because this one has, like you said, this one's, uh, you either love it or you hate it, and there there have been a lot of haters out here, and I wanted to ask you on this one, like, why did you have so much fun on this one? Um, A lot of people had a problem with it because of the CGI, because it's, it's apparent that a lot of the gators that they use are CGI, and so a lot of people okay. had a problem with it. Uh, for me personally, I love the Animals Attack movies from the 70s. So anything from Gator to uh, Day of the Triffids to Night of the Lepus with the Killer Rabbits to Frogs um, to Ants, <laughs> you know, them movies were, yes, yeah, Slugs were, oh, I mean, that's a fantastic one by Juan Fakir Simon. If you haven't checked out Slugs, great one. <laughs> but that's what Crawl was for me. It was just a throwback to the 70s where animals are attacking okay. for no reason because they are predators. And Barry Pepper, who plays the father in this movie, is fantastic. Uh, I, again, I'm not sure if you would like it, Monkey, because it's very small cast. It's only two people, really. So you're focusing what? on two people facing off against a bunch of gators. There's a couple other cast members that happen in this uh, movie. And then there's a dog. So the entire movie, if you're a dog lover, you're going to be like, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, don't kill the dog. Don't kill the dog. Let it escape. You know, let it get out. So, but when the gore happens, it works. When the gators start dragging people 
by the arms, by the legs, getting them into the death rolls. You, you're focused on it. Like you just you want to see if these people are going to make it out of this house as it's being covered in water from this hurricane. It just won't stop. You know, it's got a lot of great horrific elements to it. And I wish people appreciated it more, but it just, again, it's a niche audience, I think, that people like animal attack movies. Sharknado. You love it <laughs> Sharknado. <laughs> I don't know. Everybody fucking loves Sharknado. I hate Sharknado. I just, I don't like them. I think they're way too dumb. Fucking love Sharknado, but that's the point. Is because it's dumb. Okay, <laughs> but moving on, King. <laughs> but okay. So number three is one that I actually just watched recently, uh, and it's a movie called Bliss by Joe Bagos, which is actually going to be a pick of mine in 2020 uh, because I know that it's available uh, for you, Monkey, to find it. I know it's available on Amazon Prime. But Bliss fucking blew me away this month when I saw it because I saw that it was available for rental. It follows an artist. Uh, her character name is Desi Donahue, and she's making this gigantic painting for an exhibit, and she can't find the inspiration to finish it. So she goes to her friend's house uh, to get drugs because she does everything from weed to whiskey to cocaine, and she gets hooked on this cocaine strand called Diablo, and they call it the bliss. And whenever she does it, it creates this hallucinatory world for her where she gets inspiration her painting, but it comes at a price because she becomes obsessed with blood in a very vampiric way. And I don't want to say any more because I want that to be my pick in 2020, but the gore is just, God, it's like fucking Wichio Fulci. You know, it's just, there's so much practical effects. It's bloody as shit. It's sexy. It's weird. Um, I can't say enough good things about Bliss, uh, the Joe Bagos movie. So, if any of you guys that out there cool have seen it, hell. awesome. But it is, I can't wait to talk about it in 2020 with you guys when I bring it up as a pick. Uh, so that's my number three. Number two Sweet. is a Shutter exclusive called Tigers Are Not Afraid, directed by Issa Lopez. Uh, this is a Mexican production. It takes place during the drug wars that are happening in Mexico, and it follows a group of kids as they're basically homeless because their parents have all been killed by a drug gang. So they're homeless, they have to look for food, and they create this fairy tale world for themselves, all while these violent things are happening around them. Uh, it reminds me of early Guillermo del Toro with The Devil's Backbone or The Orphanage, where it's beautifully shot, it's incredibly imaginative, and these kids are put through so much shit that that alone is just horrifying to see how these kids have to survive with the Horasca gang basically chasing after them. Like, they want to put them into child trafficking, into child labor, into drugs, and it's just, it's a horrifying thing. But the fact that these kids can still have an imagination and still draw and still have fun and play games, it's so worth checking out. Tigers are not afraid. Okay, man. Uh, what's the so, film quality on that one like? Is, is it like the other films by that director? Oh, it's fine. It's a great quality. I mean, it's just um, it's very imaginative, uh, but like I said, I mean, what do you mean by film quality? I mean, whether it's like low frame, no, low uh, res? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, is cl- clarity yeah, of no, the film. It tends to be in certain scenes, uh, especially when they're shooting at night. Uh, a lot of those scenes uh, tend to be a little bit too dark. Um, but overall, it just, it works really well. 
the way that they make these uh, fictional characters, beings like dragons and fairies and tigers come to life. It's really impressive. It literally is like okay. a fairy tale coming to life among the bloodshed and among the real-life crimes of these gangs that are taking parents from their homes and leaving these kids without parents. Oh, okay. So it's a, a ragtag Ooh. group of kids that you're following throughout this movie and you know, adult men that want to kill them. So it's just it's definitely impressive, and I can't say enough good things about Issa Lopez's Tigers Not Afraid. I talked about it on the Talking Terror page about a month or so ago. The trailer came out, and I was yeah. blown away by the trailer. So I couldn't wait to actually check it out once it hit Shudder. Um, so definitely worth it. I don't know if that's going to be one of my picks in 2020, but who knows? It might be. Um, so my number one pick, I went through all the movies I saw in 2019, and I had to pick one. And I, I had such a hard time because I saw one just a week ago that I wish I had seen before I made my list because I probably would have put it in there. Uh, but number one goes to Robert Eggers' The Lighthouse with Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe. This was the highlight of 2019 for me. I could not believe how well done this movie was, how well it was done image-wise, how well it was acted. Uh, the Goal and I did an episode uh, on the Cinerama, which is our – or Cinema, rather, which is our sideshow. Um, the Lighthouse is just so much fun, and it just has so much – for everybody, whether you're an effects guy, whether you're an acting guy, whether you just like the film style, because it was shot in black and white and it was shot on a minimal scale, it's got something for everybody. Yeah, and okay, so number one pick, The Lighthouse, but like all the trailers make it look like it's a bit of an art house film, man. It, is that just what they, just those certain shots that they chose for the trailer, or does the film stay in that? Or, you know, douchebag <laughs> realm. See, I can't, I can't really say that it's in the artistic douchebaggery realm, uh, only because uh, his previous effort, his freshman film, The Witch, I loved. I mean, I was already hooked because of The Witch, because he was doing something different. He was taking it into the 16th century and making a film, and this one he's taking it into the 18th century and doing something with it. And that's why I was just so impressed is because I think the argument could be made that somebody would see the lighthouse and say, this is just art house douchebaggery. This is just a lot of, Oh, I'm being visual and I'm being, you know, saying something. But I think if you just watch it as a film of two men entering a lighthouse and all the fucked up shit that could possibly happen to them during this time, it's got a huge HP Lovecraft influence to it. That's there yeah. permeating throughout. So if you're a fan of Lovecraft, I think you're going to appreciate it. It's just, it has a lot to okay. say. So it definitely right, has a lot cool, in there. So I'm looking forward to and, you, anybody out there who hasn't checked it out yet. Please do, because I think you're going to have a good time. And do you know if this movie's getting any love from the fans? Uh, so far, it's been getting a lot of good love from fans. A lot of people have had a lot of positive things to say about it. But I've seen some negatives, too. I mean, as there always is. There's always going to be a couple people that say this movie is artistic douchebaggery. This movie is too long. This movie is boring. It takes too long to get to the scares. And I get all that. But when you watch this movie, you kind of have to put it aside and just let it happen. You know, let it right. progress. And again, this is one of those movies where I'm hesitant for you to watch, Monkey, because you don't like small casts. And this, this movie is, is literally two characters. 
throughout the entire film. <laughs> so I can see you being very bored yeah. until the stuff yeah. happens yeah. in the movie where it turns yeah. into a Lovecraft. But but we're also talking about Willem Dafoe. So, you know, <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm always willing to give any movie that has Willem Dafoe a chance. You know, <laughs> Just and he I'm is he's Willem Dafoe. <laughs> yeah, and he's amazing in The Lighthouse. I mean, he's a great character. And me, I'm not a fan of Robert Pattinson at all. And I said it on the Synonym episode, this movie made me a fan. Like, I felt like this guy, I should give him another chance. Because all I know him from is the Twilight movies. So it's kind of right. hard for me to say he's a good actor. When all I know him is playing a teenage vampire. You know, this movie, right. I was just completely blown away by how good he can act opposite Willem Dafoe, how they could carry a scene together where the only thing they have is a lighthouse and beer. Just getting drunk, you know, and just coming up with various situations for them. Um, it's just, it, they work really well together. So I was happy to, to so, say, you know, Robert Pattinson would love to see what he has next. So that being said, after watching this movie and watching Pattinson's acting in this movie, do you think he is going to be able to pull off Batman? No. No. I, I, I just I don't. <laughs> and we, we, the one I talked about it on this cinema episode, I liked him in The Lighthouse, but he, he's got to bulk up. He's got to do something because he's just way too gaunt and way too thin to play – Batman, Bruce Wayne. I mean, he might be able to play the Bruce Wayne side of things, but I can't see him playing the Dark Knight. You know, unless for some reason he okay. goes on this huge regiment where they just they bulk him the fuck up, and all of a sudden he steps out and he's just cut and ready to go. But I, okay, I just build don't know. a side. Okay, okay, okay. But what I'm trying to ask, uh, okay, is okay. Build a side, acting wise. Do you think he can pull it off? Based on what he did um, in the Lighthouse. Again, I would say he might be a good Bruce Wayne. I could see him playing okay. a good kind of brooding Bruce Wayne. Batman, I'm hesitant about. But just like I was okay. with, with uh, uh, Christian Bale, um, who I felt was a better Bruce Wayne than he was a Batman, you know, so, I, mean, yeah. I don't know. It just it goes both ways. So he might be a great Bruce Wayne and not a good Batman. He might be a good Batman and not a good Bruce Wayne. I don't know. I'm willing to give it to him, though, and I'm willing to wait and see. Um, what he can do with it. Like, I'm not dreading it. I'm not going, this is going to be the worst fucking Batman movie I've ever seen. I'm willing to give him a chance. Because <laughs> he did but so yeah, well in the but White yeah. House. I'm willing to but you better him, bulk um, the fuck up. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I wanted to do some give real quick uh, uh, honorable yeah. mentions for 2019. The ones okay. that did not make my top 10. Uh, the Banana Splits movie, directed by Danishka Escher-Hazy. Fantastic, sci-fi, <laughs> goofy. It's off the wall gore, and if you know anything about the banana splits, you're gonna have a good time with this movie. Um, scary stories to tell in the dark. Andre Overdahl. Again, I really wanted to put it in my top ten, just didn't fit. It was good, but I wanted more. I just didn't feel like right. it sold me enough to do what I wanted it to do. So I couldn't say it was my yeah, top ten, but I can give an honorable mention. Yeah, because I know you were, you know, you really, really wanted this movie to work, man. I, you know, I know you were waiting with bated breath for this thing to come out just because you grew up as such a fan of the childhood books. And yeah, it just, you know, in your opinion, didn't deliver what the books had given you as a kid. No. They, they tried. I mean, Guillermo del Toro was behind it. He produced it. Andre Overdahl directed it. 
So again, they tried, and it's just, it's just, it's not the books. And you know, the, the some of the things worked, and just a lot of it didn't. And I was just kind of disappointed overall with it. But I still give it an honorable mention because I still enjoyed it overall. Just wasn't enough to make it top ten. Uh, the other right. one is Rabbit, the remake by Jen and Sylvia Soska. Again, I fucking loved this movie when I saw it last week. I rented it, I checked it out, and I said, you know what? It's not Rabbit, the Cronenberg movie from 77, but it is amazing. Like, it's them doing their own thing with the story, making it work, um, and just making the gore work, making the Rabbit people look good, and just Tristan risking her, just doing her best in this movie. Just amazing. Previous guest of the show, Tristan Risk, as a nurse. Oh, she was in that. Uh, she was in it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she plays a oh, nurse awesome. that has to uh, face off against one of the infected, so I won't say what happens to her. Uh, but, yeah, Jen and Sylvia Soska, they deserve a lot of credit because this movie wasn't even supposed to be shown to people. This was just for David Cronenberg. They originally just what? wanted to make this movie for David. They wanted to make a movie specifically for David Cronenberg because they're such fans. They wanted to make okay. it and send it to him and say, this is what we can do. We love you, David. Thank you so much for what you've done, and including Rabbit, which is one of our favorites. But then they decided, you know what? You know, our fans love us, and let's put it out there. Fuck it. You know, we'll, we'll put it – because they have been notorious for saying they don't like remakes. Don't do them. Right. They suck. They're horrible. But they said, you know what? Well, we're just going to trust the fans and hope that they like it. And we're going to put it out there, but knowing that this is a love letter to David, and that's all it is. We're not trying to do better. We're just trying to do a love letter to David Cronenberg. And they included tons of references to his previous movies. And it's just, it was such a fun experience. And getting to talk to Jen and Sylvia about it and telling them how much I loved it, it just meant a lot because Rabbit is one of my favorite Cronenberg movies. The Brood is my favorite, but Rabbit is second. And the fact that they could do such a good job and still keep that heart of that nasty movie right intact meant a lot. So did they have did they uh get a response from Cronenberg about their version? I don't know. Um I didn't look it up and I mean I followed him on Facebook. So I don't know if they posted anything recently about his uh comments. I'm sure once he does mm-hmm. comment they'll probably say something, but I can't imagine him thinking this is bad. I can't imagine him looking at it and saying, well, good try, but no. You know, I definitely think Cronenberg <laughs> is one of those guys that would just appreciate what they did and, and really give them respect for doing body horror the way that they know how. Because they've been doing yeah. body horror since Dead Hooker in a Trunk, American Mary, you know, even See No Evil 2 with Kane from WWE. They directed that movie. Yeah. They know body horror. They know how to do it well. And... I really do hope that he sees it and likes it because they, they put their all into it, and it shows. They busted their ass to make this movie. That's cool, man. <laughs> so that's that's my list for 2019. Uh, like I said, the list is on Facebook. If you guys want to check it out, you guys want to comment on it, you want to make your own list, you can. Like I said, it's not a definitive list. I'm not Leonard Malton. I'm not Robert Ebert. <laughs> you know, I'm nobody. I'm just a guy that loves horror movies. And saw a ton of them in 2019 and decided to make a list and hope that you guys like my list. I'm sure that there's others on there like mm. It Chapter 2 didn't make it, uh, mm. Ready or Not didn't make it, Knives Out. There's t- so many movies that I saw I just didn't put on there. So you might agree mm. with my list. You might disagree. But yeah. 2019 was a big year for all. 
ton of movies, good or bad. So. Yeah, but Definitely feel free to go that. to the talking terror. Yeah, feel free to go to the talking terror page and yeah, comment <laughs> about what what were your big movies of t- 2019 that you really enjoyed. Let us know. That's what we do. We love talking about horror. That's why we're here, guys. Hundred and ten percent. Okay, so let's get into the movie tonight, which is Deep Red from 1975, directed by Dario Argento. Uh, this is one of his oh, earlier. <laughs> following a series of jellos that he had already done, like Four Flies and Grey Velvet, Cat Nine Tales, uh, Birth of Crystal Plumage. Uh, this one centers on a jazz pianist and a wisecracking journalist that are pulled into a complex web of mystery after the former witnesses the brutal murder of a psychic. So I picked this movie because technically Christmas movie, kind of. Yeah, but also it is. Because <laughs> I'm a huge fan of Argento. And I'm a huge fan no. of the films. And I want to get the <laughs> monkey and everybody else that hasn't been experienced in the Giallo to get experienced, to see it, to see early Giallos, what Argento could do that's not Suspiria, that's not Phenomena, that's not some of his other films that came out in the 80s that people know about, like opera. So without further ado, monkey, what did you mm. think about Deeper? Uh, first of all, I want to say thank you because. Again, we're talking about horror history, and we're talking about you know a, a specific genre of horror history that is famous. It's adored, you know, and 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 I've not had a chance to really get into these except for when we cover them on the show. So anytime we cover them, you know, I I just want to say thanks for you know exposing me to more horror history and just learning the history behind this genre of cinema ah you know so seriously thanks brother i really appreciate it um Mm -hmm. i had i had fun with this movie man (laughs) i did it's just i'm i'm getting into this giallo thing it's like i'm digging it my my niece she's starting to get into the giallo films and she's asking me you know what giallo movie should she watch and i'm like no don't ask me (laughs) go onto the talking terror page ask the king of horror because he, he fucking loves this genre. Talk to him. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just having a fun time with this. And uh, again, you know, because it's Argento, you know, we, we got some kick-ass music by Goblin, which we'll get into in a little bit. But, um, you know, it, it was just fun, and I was just enjoying it for the ride that it is. And that's that's... This was one of those movies where it felt like Argento was definitely having one of those Zen moments, man, where everything was flowing, you know, no writer's block, no nothing. It seemed like he was just channeled in there and just having a great time making this movie. And you can tell, you know, that he's he mm-hmm. just having a fun time making this movie. But that's what I thought about it. King, tell us what you thought about this movie. I mean, it's one of my favorites by Argento. Uh, whether you want to call it Profondo Rosso or Deep Red or uh, The Haunting of Angst in Germany or so many different titles for this movie. Mm-hmm. I don't even want to get into all of them. Um, I just consider it Deep Red. Um, it, it's <laughs> one of his finest examples of a giallo. And just to resound what you had just said, Monkey, his love of this movie during the production, even after it, it permeates throughout. Um, his original script was 500 pages long for Deep Red. And he gave it to his brother Claudio and his father, and he said, this is it. This is my vision. They said, holy shit, this is too long. You cannot make a 500-page script 
and turn this into a movie. It's going to take too long. Just cut it down and try to make something more reasonable. So he cut it down to 375, and that's the result that you get um, with Deep Red Profondo Rosso. Uh, like you had said, Giorgio Gaslini, Goblin doing the soundtrack, which is just one of the best. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Tenebrae. We covered it on the show, and I love that soundtrack. Again, by Goblin. Uh, Suspiria is an amazing soundtrack, but I thought that Deep Red had so much going on with the soundtrack that it wasn't just one particular uh, track. It was various different kind of funk beats and rock beats, and that's what I wanted to talk to you about. What did you think about the different tracks that they used? Mm. Um, Well, before we get into that, how about you talk real quick about how someone else was a big fan of this track as well? And who would that be? Because I'm drawing John Carpenter. John Carpenter, right? That's it. Thank you for refreshing my memory because I was drawing a blank. Yeah, John Carpenter, <laughs> uh, he has stated on many a commentary for the original Halloween in 1978 that he had seen Deep Red and he had fallen in love with the soundtrack. And when he was told by the producers that you need to do something for Halloween, you can't have it the way it is. You need to make a score to make it scary. He thought about Deep Red and he thought about how haunting some of the scores were. Uh, the repeating theme happened throughout. He wanted to do something similar, and that's how he came up with the Halloween main theme. Do something basic, do something raw, but do something memorable. Yeah. And yeah, you and listening to the main track that is in the opening sequence of this movie, depending on which cut you get, because I'm going to sit there and <laughs> backtrack in a minute. Um, yeah. Is well because because also we, when you talked about the script, I found out like he only wrote this fucking you know he wrote these 500 pages of script in like five days. Yep. You know, not nonstop. He did it in five days. You know, and I was like, holy shit. <laughs> so yeah. King, that means you need to get back on your writing. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. But, I need to be on but, but I also learned that this was um the first movie of many that Goblin did the score for. So this was actually Goblin's yeah. first, you know, collaboration with Argento. And apparently it was accidental or something like that. It was yeah. the original band the original band uh didn't work out or something like that. And there you know, he got a hold of Goblin. They threw some tracks together and was like, "What do you think?" And he was like, "That's it." <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> Into the movie. But yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. And I was really thrown off by this soundtrack just because, like you said, um, a lot of other Argento movies, Go Goblin and Argento have a specific specific feel they want to shoot for for the movie, and they try to reflect mm -hmm. that through the score throughout the entire movie, you know. And they're all along the same vein of, you know, tone and feel. This one, it was kind of like you know, Goblin was just all over the place because they gave you so many different sounds. You know, you, you had the eerie opening track, which is awesome as fuck, by the way. Um, you know, you, yeah. you had uh, uh, other tracks that were classic Goblin, and then you had other tracks where it was G Goblin almost doing jazz, and then you had other ones where it went into serious 70s funk, man, and I, I didn't realize that all of these were Goblin. I thought Okay, mate. Okay, you know, I was like, okay, this is Goblin's first movie. Goblin got the main track, you know, but they obviously didn't get the entire score because there's no way this is Goblin. 
But yeah, man, it's all Goblin. Just you know, and I didn't realize that they were that versatile as a band was to be able to provide that many different sounds. Oh yeah, they they are very flexible in their sound. They could do hard rock, they could do funk, they do so many uh, different kind of styles and different sounds. Uh, so that's why I, I I love this soundtrack because it's so different, it's so varied. It's not just one particular tone like they would do, like you had said, with Tenebrae, with uh, Suspiria, with even Phenomena, where they just went off into a different kind of route with what they wanted to do with the soundtrack, especially Phenomena because that's a heavy metal soundtrack. That featured Motorhead and mm. Ozzy Osbourne and Ike Maiden. <laughs> That's another uh, story mm. for another day. Um, yeah. But getting into this movie, yeah. when you talk about <laughs> well, it being uh, a Christmas movie, go ahead, Mugens. Uh-huh. No, no, go ahead. Okay. I think we're going on the same vein. We're on the same vein. Yeah. Go ahead, so, man. <laughs> we're talking about it being a Christmas movie. So when the movie kicks off, you get the Goblin score for Profondo Rosso. But then cut into that, you go into a Christmas time scene where there's this very just kind of gentle child song playing, a lot of la, 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 creepy fucking kids um, playing in the background, <laughs> and you see a murder happen in front of a Christmas tree. The knife drops, and you see a child's feet enter the frame, and then we're cutting right back into Rome. This is actually filmed in Turin, not Rome, but we're going into Rome for the movie. We're introduced to Helga Ullman, who is giving a lecture on parapsychology and psychic behavior with her boyfriend, Professor Giordani. Uh, very much a strong man himself, you know, sitting at the table and giving this whole lecture about psychics and how they can predict things and sense things and very hip back in the 70s. You know, uh, the parapsychology and psychology uh, and how psychics can operate. Yeah, and um, again, I like back, you know, backpedaling a little bit is the, your opening scene where the colors are very muted and stuff like that. It also depends on what cut you got because that was one of the things oh, yeah. that the king and I ha- had to make sure that we did was make sure we were watching the same cut because apparently this movie has a ton of different versions, different links, you know, <laughs> um, depending on where they're from. Um, some countries, you know, cut out a ton of the gore. Like you said, like didn't you say that was the U.S. version that actually cut out yes. all the gore? All right. The U.S. <laughs> that, version cut out almost all yeah. the gore, and they cut out a lot of the humor that took place between uh, mm. Gianni and Marcus mm. Daly, as we'll see as we talk about mm. it. They cut out all the humor. Yeah. They just cut because they yeah. didn't get it. They didn't understand why Dario did that. Mm. What, what is this? Like it's funny, and it shouldn't be funny. Mm. But we'll get into yeah. it. Yeah, and there are just other cuts that are out there depending on what country you're in, you know. And it's slated at one hour and twenty six minutes. The version that the king and I watched was two hours and six minutes. So yes. that That's the, the, the version that we happened to find, yeah, which was uh, taken originally from its original film, fully restored, you know. And I believe King, you were saying that's pretty much considered the best cut for this movie. Yes, because it, it contains everything that Dario had decided to mm. put into the movie. Everything from the dog yeah. fights to the lizard with the, the pin through it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but all but, the gore he wanted to put in, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the opening sequence, you know, was very muted. It threw me off, you know, that it was so muted because we're talking about Argento. But then, yeah, like you said, we cut into the opening sequence now of, uh, the psychic conference, and just, oh, here we are. <laughs> the, 
<laughs> Argento, as you know, bright colors all over the place. You know, super bright reds, uh, focusing on the super bright red lipstick of Helga, <laughs> and just the, the colors are just, you know, <laughs> literally shooting off of the television. It's just, you know, that, that's how Argento makes his shit. <laughs> and I was just really digging just the feel of this opening scene dur- during the lecture and talking about how the paranormals w- work and being able to feel other people. And, you know, it's it's not about predicting. It's about feeling and being able to tap into p- people's feelings. <laughs> she says she's – you know, it's not magic. She's, she's not a fortune teller. <laughs> she just reads the feelings. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's, it's not any kind of – it's not witchcraft. It's not anything like that. Like she she finds a guy in the audience, you know, who has his keys in his hand, and she's like, I've never met you before, you know, trying to debunk the whole thing um, of that she's never met this person before. Uh, but I also want to give a big credit to Luigi Cuvelier, who was the cinematographer for this movie, who worked a lot alongside Dario throughout the entire thing. So a lot of the crazy okay. uh, up-close shots of eyes and mouths and things like that that are used, uh, that was a big influence by Luigi uh, Cavalier, who also worked a lot with Paul Morrissey in the 70s on Flesh of Frankenstein and Blood for Dracula. Uh, he worked a lot with Michelangelo Antonioni on Blowout from 66, which is a huge influence in this movie. Uh, if anybody out there has ever seen Blowout uh, Blow from 66, um, I doubt anybody has, except for me. <laughs> but it's, just, it's a huge influence. <laughs> You and Rob Zombie were the only people who saw that movie. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, blow up and sick and dick. But, uh, but we also cut to Marcus Daly, played by David Hemming, who is a jazz pianist who works at a conservatory uh, alongside his best friend, okay. Carlo. And they're playing at the Blue Bar every night, and they're just trying to compose things. So you get this back and forth of the conference and also the conservatory where Marcus is teaching um, but they cut it kind of quick to where you have Helga going back to her apartment after she has a premonition of death at the conference. <laughs> this over-the-top drinking of the water, spitting it out of her mouth, going, yeah, there's death. Yeah. There's death all around me. I, it, it, was just, it was just water, but that shot just made me so uncomfortable. Just, I was just, yeah. oh, man. It's, it's just water, guys. But they do, like, for some reason, what they did with the water, just, like, just, yeah. It made me just uncomfortable. Well, there's also the shot towards uh, later on in the movie with Professor Giordana, who is drinking the tea, yeah. and it comes out of his mouth. I'm like, it's just for some reason. Yeah. Just, yeah. He cannot yeah. get it in yeah. their mouth. Yeah, they, they don't uh, – but... apparently here they don't do spit takes. They just let it just fall out of their mouth. <laughs> just that. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's gross, but for some reason it just works. Um, but with Helga in her apartment, she's talking to a German publisher. And she starts to hear the children's music that we heard at the beginning of the movie, which we'll find out that's the killer's kind of calling card. Whenever the killer's around, you're going to hear this song <laughs> playing. La, 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 Yeah. And it sticks to you. La, 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 Like, you know, throughout the whole movie, I'm like, fucking kids are creepy. Like, can we just say that? Yeah. That's, it, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty much like along the lines of, like, a, a Danny Elfman scary kid singing <laughs> score. <laughs> And what's interesting is that as the song was playing, the killer bursts into Helga's apartment and starts to attack her with a cleaver. Out in the street, Marcus is leaving the conservatory, the blue bar, and he sees this happening, and he wants to go to her rescue. Like, he wants to help her because he sees this happening. 
when he goes up into the apartment and he's walking in the hallway, if you've seen this movie before, you see the killer. So you know who the killer is because they show the face of the killer as he's walking down the hallway. And they do. So, I like I because yep. it, it it comes up. I went back, rewatched the movie, and yeah, it's fucking there. They don't fuck with you later, yep. but it's actually there. I was like, holy shit, yeah. he actually did it. <laughs> yep. Right in the beginning of the movie, he shows you the killer, face and everything, so you know who the killer is. But watching it for the first time, you don't know this. You just nope. You see the painting <laughs> because he brings it up to Carlo that he saw this painting of faces, and now it's not there anymore. Because that face that he saw isn't there anymore. So he's not seeing the same painting. Um, But when he goes up to Helga's apartment and he finds her dead, director trademark Dario, he loves glass. Loves to put shards of glass on people. And it works with this one too. This that 3M red paint and that blood. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you know, we we get our first body of the movie. And yep. He starts it right off with a window, and I was like, oh, okay. He's just getting out of his system early. (laughs) Oh, yeah. But what I also love, and now that you're kind of getting indoctrinated in Jalos, it's a thing of, in these movies, the cops are fucking useless. They are just (laughs) there to do an investigation, but they just want to eat sandwiches, and they just want to pal around with each other, but they're not fucking doing any police work. We have to have the main characters in the movie do the hmm. police work for them. Well, before we get to the fucked up cops, okay, um, excuse me, yeah, you know, uh, Marcus tries to get to the killer, the killer gets away, and then he sees the killer walking by Carlo, you know, down on the Mm -hmm. street, you know, he sees who who Mm -hmm. he thinks is the killer walking by Carlo, so that's important later, sorry, just wanted to rewind to that part, okay, but yeah, like you said, back to Go back to the bumbling cops of this movie. <laughs> yeah. I just have no idea what they're doing. They're just going to eat sandwiches and act like they're important. And sandwiches. And, and it's like, I. this is why like I, I'm starting to dig these like 70s foreign movies and shit like that. Because, you know, we are now at a crime scene. You know, we have Marcus, who's supposed to be English, by the way, guys. <laughs> yes, he is. Here. <laughs> yeah. uh, he's supposed to be. You know, and we'll get into reasons why I definitely disagree with that later. But um, (laughs) the police are there, and, you know, they're at a crime scene. There's the body over there. You know, there's blood all over the place. You know, and Marcus is just talking to the cops. They're bumbling about. They're like, oh, hey, want a piece of sandwich? Oh, I got some coffee here. Here, let me give you some coffee. You know, it's like these are like the nicest fucking cops ever. It's like, you know, we brought coffee, we brought danishes, you know, you want some while we sit here and chat a while, you know. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? It's no, like they're just hanging out at the ca- cafe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, they'll figure it out, whatever. <laughs> you know, he might be a suspect, maybe not. We'll take him downtown and we'll talk to him. Uh, but yeah, like you said, we talked to Carlo, who's his friend, who's a drunk. You know, and he talks about how he just wants to drink, and you have Marcus saying that's no way for a musician to be. And he's like, maybe I don't want to do that forever. So we're setting it up right now that Carlo is just a useless drunk. He's a good pianist. Yeah. He's just not a very good person because all he wants to do is get drunk. Um, but we also get introduced mm-hmm. in this scene by the lovely, lovely, lovely Daria Nicolati, former wife of Dario Argento, playing Gianna Brezzi in this movie. She showed up in Tenebrae, which we talked about previously on the show. I love Daria Nicolotti. She is such a beautiful, beautiful woman. 
And I loved her character in this movie as Gianna because she is such a wonderful woman where she's just so comfortable being herself as this character. Yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed the character of Gianna in this movie. Um, again, because we're talking mid-70s, you know, I think Argento made, you know, wrote her specifically for women's rights movement, movements that was going on at the time, made her, you know, very independent, um, but at the same time still made her really funny and also um, really strong mentally, but at the same time still fragile. You know, he, he wrote her really well with really, you know, just covered all, all the bases with her. And, and mm-hmm. she's just fun to watch on screen. <laughs> and it, it's him, again, Argento having a little bit of fun in this movie, where it, it's a serious uh, concept with these murders that are happening, but he's incorporating a little bit of humor and a little bit of, of levity, which is something that I think is needed sometimes with, with uh, Jawa film, where you have this back and forth with Marcus and Gianna mm-hmm. uh, when she uh, challenges him to an arm wrestling match. And she beats him twice, and he's like, you cheated, you cheated. Your arm wasn't even on the table. (laughs) Okay, I bested you. I don't have a boyfriend, by the way. Just letting you know. (laughs) And, yeah, and she gets introduced because she shows up at the scene and takes a picture of him and puts his picture in the paper. And that's why they end up together on this adventure that they're getting ready to start. But, yes, they start to hang out more, and, yeah, we have the arm wrestling scene again. Because it's some, you know, women's movement. She beats him not once but twice, and this is why it's like, you know, I think he plays the role of being an English person poorly because mm-hmm. English people don't don't get pissed off <laughs> to this level like this. Not you know, not unless you're like in the dodgy parts of London or something like that. But I really enjoy this because he gets so fucking hot about her her beating him. You know, and they have this argument about, you know, I hate liberated women. women. Well, I hate ignorant men. Oh, you are so stubborn. You're stubborn. Um, see you later tonight for a quick fuck. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and the whole scene of them in the car where the seat breaks and he's shorter than her and the, the sun visor keeps falling down and he keeps trying to fix it. Like, there's comedy in this movie, but it's appreciated because mm. it is funny. Like it's just it's funny mm-hmm. to see him trying to get out of his car when he goes out by the blue bar, and he has to climb out of the fucking sunroof <laughs> to get out. <laughs> like, you know, you see him just yeah. struggling to get out of the little car. Yeah, and I love the scene in the cemetery when they uh, first meet up and they're talking about whether or not they should work together on this investigation because Marcus has decided he is going to do his own investigation because oh, yeah. Helga was his his neighbor. At at the mm-hmm. flat that he's staying at at the moment, but you know they, you know during this, you know she starts to just talk more and more about you know she doesn't have a boyfriend, you know, <laughs> being very very flirtatious, and you know you know would you like to get together some you know for a little something and he's like what right now right here in the cemetery, <laughs> <laughs> she's ready she's like yeah let's go yeah she's buttoning her jacket <laughs> like you know she's just gonna start fucking any second. Like, she's just a very strong woman that knows what she wants. Mm-hmm. And even at one point, she's like, what, I'm not attractive enough? Like, you don't think I'm good-looking enough? Am I ugly to you? <laughs> no, no, it's not even that. Well, what is it then? Like, you know, because like, I, I beat you two times in arm wrestling? Like, not that big of a deal, B. Like, don't worry about it. Because um, yeah, I made you my bitch. <laughs> yeah. 
but we get a scene of him uh, looking for Carla at one point where he doesn't know where he's been. He can't find him anywhere. So he eventually goes to where his mother lives, Martha. We get introduced to this very weird, you know, eccentric type character. You know, that's his mother who used to be an actress. And she's just. Oh, I, I love he's her. An engineer or a penis. It's so great. <laughs> Keeps calling him so an engineer, you know, the penis. Yeah, and she's so fun because she's so forgetful and, you know, then at the same time uh, talking about how she used to be an actress and just this great, great, you know, role of just being this ditzy old woman who used to be somebody you know, and wants to remember that. But at the same time, that's, that's also not going to stop her from being flirtatious. You know, every, everybody's digging on Marcus in this movie, man. You know, she's like, you ever been I mean, with an older woman? <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, uh, David Hemming and yeah. Marcus Dale, he's a good-looking guy. Like, you know, it seems yeah, like he I'm has not... it together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm just finding it funny that, you know, he, he, even Marco's mom is like, uh, hey, you you want to get together? You know, <laughs> you ever <laughs> yeah. been with an older woman? I, I can teach you some things. You know, it's like, wow. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's just flirting with him, like, nonstop to the point where he's like, yeah, I, I yeah. really got to go. I just want to yeah. find yeah. out where Carlo is. Thanks. Um, yeah, because Carlo isn't going to be home for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We can do whatever we want, really. I mean, it's fine. Um, but it leads him to the apartment of Massimo Ricci, um, and that is where we find out that Carlo is gay, and he's been with a transvestite by the name of Massimo Ricci. And what's interesting is that Massimo Ricci is played by a woman, Geraldine Hooper, yeah. who put a mustache <laughs> on and had her voice dubbed for the movie. So she could sound like Oh, okay. Okay. But, yeah. um, you know, and it works. Yeah. You actually know it's actually a woman, but they did a really good job of hiding it, where she does have very masculine features, where you're like, that, that could be a man. You know, got the mustache. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's a woman, <laughs> and it works. It's a throwaway scene. Why don't you, but it just, <laughs> why don't you come up to the lab and see what's on the slab? <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you, Massimo. I'm good. I just wanted to find out what Carl was. Now I found out he's still fucking drunk. Great. <laughs> you know, I don't like anything. But, okay, Carl. Well, apparently he likes the dick. Um. But we also and what we but said, I'm we also sorry about what happened earlier because you could tell that he didn't fucking write. I'm sorry about what happened earlier. He's like, no worries, call me. <laughs> but but then we, but uh, we, we can tell though that uh, Carlos's lover actually genuinely cares about him. You know that he, oh, yeah. he's been in this. You know he's that, that they have been in this situation many times. Well, Carlos apparently has come home stumbling drunk. And they have to take care of Carlos because he's in no condition to take care of himself. And, you know, just talking to Marcus, like, you know, they, you know, they're in a similar situation. Okay. Okay. It's your turn. You take over and you take him with you. And now you got to take care of him, you know? Oh, yeah. (laughs) And now with Marcus being the quote unquote star witness to the murder of Helga, the killer is on Marcus's tail. So when he's at home, he's trying to compose, he's writing on his piano. You get that tape playing again of that child song and the killer slowly stalking Marcus throughout this apartment. And it leads to him even grabbing that stone horse head because he's going to defend himself. 
but he's also scared shitless, which I like. He's not being a fucking masculine guy like, all right, come get me, bitch. Like, I'm right here. But he's, oh. he's scared. Yeah, he's definitely going to defend himself, but, he, yeah, he is definitely 100% terrified about what's getting ready to go down. And Yeah. I, And this is the other thing that, like, I – you know, for some like I enjoy, but at the same time get frustrated with with Giallo movies is does no one lock their fucking doors in Giallo movies? It's just mm-hmm. you know <laughs> the killer just always just walks in wherever they want to go. <laughs> yeah, no problem at all. Yeah, but, yeah. But the killer is, uh, is locked out of the room that Marcus is in, and the killer basically just tells him, "I know who you are, and I'm going to kill you." So you walked out tonight. <laughs> You called your girlfriend, Gianna, but anyway, gonna kill you. See you later. So, <laughs> catch you next time. Yeah. But it leads to him Just going so you know, back to oh, Preston's yeah. with the tape yeah. of We're the child, you know, trying to figure mm-hmm. the fuck out. Why the fuck is this killer playing this song? What does it have to do with the killer? And it's, oh, of course, it's the killer having some kind of traumatic event that happened in their life. And that song is attached to that traumatic event, and that's why you have to hear it. Because that's what it's attached to. So giving an explanation as to why the killer has to walk around with a fucking boombox to every murder site. <laughs> that that yeah, it's like the 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 tape threw me off though because again we're talking, you know, early seventies. So like, but the tape was clear and stuff like that. So I'm like, I'm wondering if maybe it was an eight track, you know, <laughs> that he was using. I don't know. It's just yeah, it was know, weird. The, the, it was a weird the, set. Yeah, and it was just a, a funky looking tape that was playing, so I I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it had but that I, weird green for, for, Yeah, and for some it. reason I just for for some reason I just really mm-hmm. enjoyed those shots of just showing the tape play. I don't know why. It was just very calming yeah. right before shit's getting ready to go down. <laughs> They're interesting and yeah, they are just very kind of soothing and weird how they fact that they take the time with the tape player and the tape playing out, but you eventually find out that that song is also attached to a folk tale called The House of the Screaming Child, where apparently there was a murder in a house where a child was screaming and singing outside of a house, that we have to have a library sequence where we have Marcus investigating this tale and reading the whole fucking thing because he's got to really find out what is going on. And he finds out that Amanda Rigetti wrote that book, and he's going to go find her because he wants to find out more about this tale. But uh, that meeting is not meant to happen. It would seem not, <laughs> but you know, because we get to uh, meet the author. She's hanging out in her own uh, little country house by herself, uh, surrounded by birds in her apartment. And uh, again, though, she no locks in the building. But I, this one, I'll give it because she lives in the middle of nowhere. You know, who who yeah. who locks her door in the middle of the country? You know, so I'll so I'll give yeah. definitely give this one a pass. <laughs> But it was great. I mean, the whole scene is great for a suspense kind of scene where you have the killer stalking Amanda through the house, uh, cutting off the lights to where she grabs a knitting needle. Okay, John Carpenter, looking at you again. You're going to copy this in 78 with Halloween. (laughs) Uh, But accidentally killing one of her birds in the process and then finally meeting her ends in a scalding hot bath from the killer Again, Rick Rosenthal, Halloween 2, you copied this, didn't you? <laughs> that's the scene for Halloween 2 where Michael Myers kills a woman with scalding hot water. So, again, thank you, Argento, for doing it first. And in such a great way, I love the, the after effects of her face. 
where it's bloated and burned. And you think maybe she's going to survive, so she tries to write out on the bathroom wall with the steam who the killer is because she saw their face. And nope, yeah, it's and, evaporation matter. <laughs> yeah, and I, I enjoyed the effects of, you know, after she comes out and stuff like that, just because, again, I'm still getting used to the giallo stuff. They don't normally go this route, though, of doing these kind of effects, right? It's They, they normally stick with slashes and you know, slashes yeah. and stabs. They don't normally go go for these kind of effects. No, it's very rare. Uh, Fulci would do it in some of his movies, but Argento usually kind of reeled it back a little bit, where it was a lot more flashes. You know, it was a lot more okay. just quick cuts, because he didn't want to linger on it. He wanted to show you the kill, but just not linger. You know, he wanted to get it done, show you it, and be done with it, and moving on to the next scene. You know, he was more right. about the story. Was more but but this entire uh, setup, like you said, it was just fun of the killer just playing <laughs> with the victim, <laughs> setting things up, and just screw, screwing with her the entire time before the final moment happens. Uh, I, again, though, this is where the movie starts to mess with me because, our, you know, like you've told me, every time we have a kill and we see the, the gloves – it's our, yeah. You know, you, you, you to, told me it's always, always Argento, right? Yes, that's him, always. Okay. That's and, it threw, and it threw me off, though, during this specific scene because I was like, man, those are some really small hands. And then yeah. I was like – and I was like, those are some really small hands. It's got to be a woman. So then I started thinking maybe, you know, because of that, it started making me think maybe Gianna is the killer. Mm-hmm. That's a good possibility. It's a, a movie where there's a ton of red hair. Yeah, and, you know, as we get into it later, and, you know, it's like, you know, I started to think, you know, she she could definitely be the killer because later, you know, she obviously has all the info before, you know, as things are happening. You know, she, she you know she works at a newspaper. She, she, she's getting the info as it drops. Of course, she, she would be yeah. one up on everything. You know, so that's why, you know, and with these tiny hands, I didn't, you know, <laughs> sorry, Dario, <laughs> didn't realize your hands were so small. Okay, but yeah, it just got me thinking that maybe the killer was a female at this point. Yeah, well, Dario did that because he didn't think that anybody could do it better than he could, the kills. Like, he felt nobody's going to be better than me at killing these people. Like, I know what I want to do. I know the shot composition. So I'm not going to have right. somebody fumbling around with these gloves on. I'll do it myself because I know what I want. So, I mean, that's a directly right. confident in what he wants. So that's why I've always loved those Java films that Dario did because he didn't want anybody else to do it. I know what I want. You right. don't. So let me do it. <laughs> right. But uh, after the kill happens, then uh, – you know, after Rigetti's dead and she's left pointing at the wall, I, I I was just fucking rolling here because it's just, you know, <laughs> you know, there there's the <laughs> the tape line, <laughs> just body point, pointing right there, <laughs> you know, yeah, <laughs> to to the, to and of the course wall. Shows up, Marcus. <laughs> fucking Marcus <laughs> shows up at the murder scene again, <laughs> and he's putting his fucking fingerprints yeah. everywhere, and he's like, oh shit, they're gonna think I killed this woman. <laughs> I gotta go. I gotta escape. You know? And John was like, dude, you did. 
You put your fucking fingerprints everywhere. They're going to think you did it. Like, stop going to murder yeah. scenes, dude. <laughs> stop yeah, going cut, there. Cut it, cut it. Yeah, cut it out. <laughs> but I mean, um, Even Carlos tells me one point. Just fucking go. You and Gianna just go to Spain or something. <laughs> You're not good at this, Marcus. Yeah, but then we have um, uh, Helga's partner, uh, Giordani. Is that how you say it? Yeah, Giordani. Professor Giordani. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so he he shows up and go, goes back to investigate as well, you know, because apparently you know cops are cool with anybody just showing up at murder scenes, even though things haven't been closed hey, down. Go for it. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. you know, and he, he's t- talking to the yeah he's talking to the maid. She's trying to clean up all the blood now, and then he's you know see gets the hint about the body pointing to the thing, uh, to the wall, and starts to cut on all the steam. And starts to see that she tried to leave a message, you know. All she was able to leave is the killer is, <laughs> yeah. and it stopped because mm-hmm. she died. But then the yeah. maid comes running in, all pissed off. What are you doing? Why are you running all the fucking hot water? What the hell's wrong with you? <laughs> Sorry, Grizzly Adams, but you can't turn all the water. <laughs> you know. But it's, yeah, again, it's Jordani doing his own investigation because now he's interested because he's interested because of what Marcus has told him about the. Uh, you have Marcus going to the house where this supposedly took place, the house of the screaming child, and he's walking in there and doing his own fucking investigation again, ripping into the plaster because he sees things yep. as clues, and we start to see the pictures on the wall that are drawn of the Christmas time murder. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like because he's they're sneaking around and you know whatnot. Because uh, for some reason he has to crawl on the outside of the building because there was supposed to be a window there. So he crawls on the outside of the building like, you know, fucking Spider-Man or some shit, <laughs> you know, and realizes that there's mm-hmm. a hidden room in, in, in the in the building. But not, not without – That's a great reveal. Though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, was just, I just started laughing, though, during this one scene because he slips and starts to fall down the, the um, gutter. But because he slipped and stood in the gutter, all of a sudden was like, oh! It's our it's our jam. And we start doing some, you know, funky seventies thing going on. Yeah, down, 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 You know, all of a sudden, you know, he 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 like he shafts or something like that. It's like, oh, we got we got to do a hot seventies jam now. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I love the song choice in this whole thing. Yeah, because it's it it didn't fit with this particular this particular scene because it's not like it was a car chase. Or something. It's, he's slipping down a drain pipe. <laughs> yeah, I know. And he has this driving funk soundtrack playing as he's trying to yeah, find out. Yeah, the, the the funk sounded cool as shit. But I was like, okay, you're making this. This music is way too exciting for this scene. <laughs> <laughs> but it is a great reveal though in the house when he knocks down that mm-hmm. wall and he looks into that room. And you just see everything kind of almost pristine, like it's been walled over. And then you see the rotting Christmas tree in the corner, and then the body. And he's like, fuck? Yeah. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> I'm like, Jesus yeah, Christ. Yeah, what the hell? There's a yeah, body? I was what like, the fuck is that? <laughs> yeah, and he's <laughs> you know? just, but he's all, he, but at the same time, he's all nonchalant about it, like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to go over here. Yeah. 
was the point when he sees it happen, he gets knocked unconscious, and the next scene, the fucking house is on fire. It's like, whoop, there goes the body. <laughs> yeah. no, there goes the evidence. House is on fire, right. and John is there to recuperate him. And again, this is a, a, again, while I kept thinking it was Gianna, because, all right, Gianna, you know, figured, figured out where he was going. Very creepy. Sister, knocked his ass out. And then, and, you know, and then set the whole fucking place on fire to, to get rid of the evidence of what we discovered yeah. was, you know, creepy Christmas room, you know, <laughs> that was preserved for all time. And very with, creepy. You know, yeah. yeah, with Father Christmas still in there, but we're going to set the whole thing on fire. But no, her story is she found him unconscious and dragged his heavy ass outside while the building was on fire. You know, because, you know, apparently she's way stronger than him. <laughs> she can do that. And, and the one scene that I, I did want to talk about, because it happened before, but it's a quick scene. It's uh, Giordani in his office looking into information about what's been going on, and that's when the killer decides to come for him. And he starts to oh, hear that kid's yeah. music playing, and he goes to drink the tea, and he just can't find his mouth, so it just falls all over his mouth and all over his shirt. And you're thinking, oh shit, the killer's coming. What the fuck is going to happen? And you get a mechanical fucking doll running into the room. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> the first time when I was yeah. seeing, seeing this movie, I was like, what the fuck is that? Is that the killer? Like, is the killer a mechanical doll? Yeah, and it's, and it's, it's, and for people listening at home, it's not like a doll, like you know, tiny little doll. It's a huge oh, no. automaton. This thing is, this thing is like three feet tall. You know, it's it, it's a huge ass automaton. You know that eventually, you know, <clears throat> Giordani finally gets his bearings straight. You know, after being scared shitless by this thing and just staring it down for like a solid minute straight. You know, you could have died any second now, motherfucker. And yeah. then. And then you know, beats the shit out of the automaton. <laughs> and then while his arms are flailing up and down, he's like, okay, let me catch my breath. I'm all right. But the fucking killer shows up and then just fucking curbs his ass on every corner oh. that he has in his office with his fucking teeth. Like, bashing this guy's <laughs> mouth on every possible oh, surface. Uh, oh, God, the fucking teeth, dude. Like, you know, yeah, yeah. Cringe uh, oh, me. man. Yeah, I fucking hated this scene. It's just you know, because if you've ever had if you've ever had anything accidentally happen to your mouth, you know, and banged your teeth a little bit, it's just it hurts like a motherfucker. But yeah, just jam, 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 you know, onto the fireplace, jam onto the desk, you know, like. And I, this seems specifically like I was really confused by it, so I did some research and found out like Argento chooses this kind of stuff to do because. He said he hates using things like guns because no one knows what a gunshot feels like, and he prefers right. stuff like this. He goes because he said everybody knows the pain of bumping your head, you know, possibly bumping your mouth on something. Everybody knows that pain, so that's why he chooses to do these kinds of kills, you know, with this kind of you know pain on the body is because he's trying to hit you with stuff that you know how it feels. It was uh, him and Bernardino Zapponi who co-wrote the script saying the exact same thing that you just said. They wanted to make realistic deaths where you know that pain. Like, you might not know what it's like to get shot, but you know what it's like to fucking burn your hand in water. You know what it's like to stub your toe or your cheek on something. It's going to hurt. 
So he wanted it to be a realistic pain. And it works because, yeah, you cringe when he's getting his mouth bashed on the corners of his desk, on the mantle. Like, yeah, but then he gets stuck in the neck. It's like, yep, got to have that. Yeah. And, uh, again, like, you know, three on paint all over the place. Uh, but And uh, I, I love the idea of how they did this shot of starting from the drip on the floor and then following, you know, the camera following it up onto the desk and then do yeah. the pool of blood on the desk and then showing the bottom of the knife sticking into the desk, then showing the throat, then showing the top of the yeah. knife, and then panning away so you can see the entire thing. Like, I really enjoyed the way that particular scene was shot. Because it makes you wonder how they did it. And that's what I always like about these movies. We've talked about it that nauseam with these movies. You just like to see how they did it. The fact that it looks like it went all the way through, like his neck. You uh-huh. know, and you see the blade in the desk. And you're like, okay, that's a good cut. Like, that's a good effect that really works. Um, we also, in the process of them further doing investigations, Marcus and Gianna, they get introduced to the caretaker of the house with his daughter, Olga, this creepy little oh. redhead that likes to draw pictures oh. that are much like the ones Gary we found Ginger. in the house. <laughs> yeah, she is terrifying because she likes to torture wizards. And the father knows it. And he's like, she's a creepy fucking kid. Don't believe anything that she says. But, yeah, she draws shit. <laughs> yeah, I, I love it. And the dad's like, yeah, she's a cre- creepy fucking kid, man. <laughs> that's it, yeah. Because at one point, when they get introduced to Olga, the father's yelling at her and slapping her. And they're like, what did he do that for? Oh, nothing. And then you see the wizard on the ground with a pin in his neck. Obviously, that's something yeah. that Olga did because she's yeah, um, but she copied and the, the picture. And the lizard is still and the lizard is still alive. That's the problem. You actually see this in the movie. Yeah. The lizard is still alive, and it's actually just writhing there, you know, with this big ass bobby pin sticking through its neck. Yeah. Oh, poor little, the, poor the little fucker. <laughs> and I was glad they brought that up too. The dog fight that happens in the middle of this movie for no reason. They just have a shot of the dog. Fight. Yeah. Like a dog yeah. viciously biting each other. Because it's a dog eat dog world. God damn right. But they find out that the pictures that Olga's been drawing, she found it in a file at the junior high school. And she's basically just copying it because she just liked it because she's fucked up. So that's what leads into the third act of them going to the high school to find out where these files came from. Who was the one that originally drew these pictures? Right. And that's where we get Gianna getting stabbed by a killer. We don't know who. She just gets stabbed. And we find that it is Carlo. Who have been drawing these pictures <gasps> back? What? Kid. Oh my God, Carlo! No way, dude! Not Carlo. He's so cool. Yeah, it's Carlo <laughs> that's been drawing these oh. pictures, and he's fucked up. And he confronts Marcus <laughs> with that gun. You should have left, dude. Yeah, should have left. Yeah, had time. <laughs> yeah, and he's he's you know he was like, man, I told you to leave. You know, you should have left. Yeah. You should have left with Gianna like you said you wanted to because they had plans mm-hmm. that they were going to just call call this whole fucking thing off and get the fuck out of there, you know. <laughs> but, yeah, and Carlo's like, look, I seriously don't want to do this to you, you know, but I have to. Right. But, but I, you know, but I don't want to because I want you to know that I love you. as a, You know, <laughs> I love yeah. you as a friend. I love you as an artist, and I don't want to do this. <clears throat> And this upcoming scene is the one that I was really so excited to talk to you about. Because after he, he's ready to kill Marcus, the police arrive, and he's like, oh, shit, got to go. See ya. And runs out of the building, being chased <laughs> out by the cops. 
And when he runs worst out into the street and he's drunk, worst aim ever. Sh- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But when that garbage truck comes barreling down the street with that hook and it just catches on to him and he gets dragged, you know, for a couple blocks. Yeah. Like, yeah, because you know how you know up. how much like, <laughs> you, you and you know how much I love stunt effect as well. So it's like yeah. you know he's getting dragged. He you know he's all over the street. Uh, c- camera is right there on our boy Carlo. So we we know oh, that yeah. these shots are not a. So we know these shots are not a stunt person. You know it's actually him. You know <laughs> on the you know on the street getting dragged. You know so you know again awesome <laughs> for Argento actually doing this. Of showing that, but yeah, then getting dragged down the street. Um, <laughs> again, How does it wrap two up? clowns like... and <laughs> what? How does it no, wrap it's, up? No, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah, but two clowns, you know, in, dr- driving the truck and they're like, oh, you know, not paying any attention, whipping the truck all around. Carlos is getting whipped all over the fucking place. <laughs> And then gets his head, oh man, man, gets his head fucking smacked on the fucking sidewalk. It was just, holy shit. By a passing you know, car. Uh, like, he was fine. They stopped the truck and they're like, oh shit. And he's laying there breathing. He's bloody. He's bruised. But he's still alive until that car goes <laughs> shooting up the street and runs right over his head. <laughs> Crushes it like a melon. Oh my god, I I fucking lost it during that scene, man. Because it's like, oh oh, our, okay, our killer, you know, he's pretty fucking banged up, but he's, you know, but he's gonna be okay for questioning. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> no time to just, get that hook off of him and bring him to the hospital. That car comes and just ends Carlo right there in the middle of the street. Yeah. So this is that point in the movie where you're like, okay, everything's wrapped up. Carlo was the killer. John is going to be okay. Mm-hmm. She's being taken to the hospital. Mm-hmm. So, okay. And credits, right? Mm-hmm. No, no. Still got a little bit of movie left. Because huh? we did. What? We, we still have another 15 minutes of the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Marcus is like, well, wait a second. There's no way Carlo could have killed Olga because he was talking to me at the time of the murder. Now, all of a sudden, I'm remembering that painting that I saw with the missing face. Oh, shit. I know who killed Helga. It was Martha, <laughs> Carlo's mom. What the fuck? <laughs> she did it. Holy shit. And it cuts back to the beginning like I told you about. You see her face in that mirror. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, it cuts to back to the beginning, you know, and it's like, yeah, he remembers seeing her now because it wasn't a painting. It was a, I, it was a mirror, and he saw her face there, and and then <clears throat> we get the flashback to the beginning of the movie. We we're yeah. cutting back again now to Christmas, you know, yeah. and we have the the whole fucked up scene of. Just, uh, I think it was Carlos' dad t- telling um, his mom that she has to stop acting. Was that it? Was that she, she has yeah. to stop acting? She lost her mind. And, and he was going to take her to yeah, the mental he hospital. Is, he was going to drive her there himself. Yeah. Like, you, you lost it. Your mind's gone. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, Carlos in the background playing that fucking creepy kid song. It's Christmas. Yeah, hey, la, la. Coming. Yay. Topo Chico. <laughs> yeah, you know. And it's okay, honey. It's okay. Trust me. It's going to be fine. I'm going to take it. She's like, no, 
no, no way, dude. He's like, no, I'm taking you to the hospital. I'm just going to go get the car keys. I'll be right back. And she's like, fuck this shit. Grabs that knife and starts stabbing him in the back with it, which leads again, like we talked about at the beginning of the movie, where you have a struggle, and you see it's his mom stabbing the father to death, with yeah. Carlo being the one to pick up that bloody knife and looking at the blood dripping down the blade. Realizing, holy shit, mm-hmm. my mom's got my dad. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, and I guess, that you know, that was their idea. It's just the wall shit up. You know, no one's going to ask where dad is. You know, I, right. I, I mm-hmm. you know, that that was that was the one loophole I had of this entire movie was, you know, that was not explained yeah. about. Yeah. You know, th- that was the only loophole I had, you know, but I enjoyed th- that Argento threw this scene in of um, Marcus remembering everything that happened because. After, you know, we're told that Carlos is dead, you know, I, I'm rolling, you know, it's literally rolling through my head at the exact same time. I was like, no, that can't be right because Carlos was there with who he thought was the killer. Can't be right. And then right. they start doing this as like, you know, cut, cut, cut your own train of thought off going, yeah, we got you. Don't worry. You know? <laughs> yeah. And it's, that, it's one of those moments, yeah, where, like, I remember yeah. seeing this movie when I was in my teens. And when they flash back to that photo in the hallway, and you see her face in it, and you're like, oh, fucking shit. In the beginning of the movie, they show who the killer is. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it's like, you know who it is? Yeah. It's the woman and, that he and, met. That's Martha. Yeah, and, and if you literally you know go back and rewatch the movie, yeah, Argento was ballsy enough to actually have that scene in the beginning, so they're not just fucking yep. with you, making you, you know, maybe it was there. No, it's literally there at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> oh yeah, it's there. If you pause it, you know, right at that opening murder with Helga, it's there. He put it in there. He knew that people were going to be like, "What the fuck? <laughs> Why is there a human face in that painting?" But no, we'll get there. And it leads to Martha attacking Marcus with a butcher uh, butcher blade and getting him in yeah. the shoulder and just crazed at this point. Like, I'm just going to fucking kill this guy because he killed my son, and I got to get revenge for him now. So I got to go after him. But Marcus, being a fucking yeah. stud he is, goes to the elevator and he traps that necklace into the elevator and traps her. So there's just no way she's gonna escape. Yeah, and it's she's like struggling as the all is going on. Oh my god! Holy shit! It's I'm gonna get my head cut off. And I just love the way that it was filmed because you see it going up, you see her going and struggling, you see the neck starting to get a little bloody. Then all of a sudden it gets deeper to a point where it's cut and she vomits on herself. Like, yeah. Ah. <laughs> first of yeah. all, first of all, that's that's like what that's one strong fucking chain that she had around her neck. All right, oh it's like God. you know that you know you know that that was like that was like some straight up Debo chain Debo chain that she had going on, man. Was <laughs> <laughs> yeah. some fragile Tiffany shit. Um, but yeah, I too really enjoyed just the scene of her struggle. And you know, it getting in deeper and deeper to the point where we just get that just eviscation of just, you know. <laughs> yeah, you get the gash in the neck, and then she vomits on herself. As yeah, just drifting there with blood hanging on it. But then you cut to the floor where there's a gigantic deep red pool of blood. Hey, deep red, you got that title in there. And and Mark is just staring at this pool of blood. But what I love is that as the credits roll, he's still reacting to it. 
They don't freeze frame. He's still reacting to the blood. You know, he's rubbing his face, he's looking at it, he's covering his eyes, but they don't freeze frame it until the very end. Yeah, and again, because we're talking about Argento being Argento, it's like because we're having this reflection in the blood, and I'm, you know, he's he's you know doing you know rubbing his hands through his own hair and then rubbing his hands yeah. around his neck and stuff like that, you know, because it's Argento, I was like, who fucking knows? Maybe it's going to be another killer that that comes up in the you know in the reflection and then takes out <laughs> Marcus. You don't fucking know, you know. But then I was like, no, that's no. that. No, no, movie's over. But finally, freeze frames. But yeah, keeps it going of just his reaction to all of this. And once again, he stuck around. You know, he's gonna be stuck around another fucking murder scene <laughs> when yeah. the cops eventually show up. Things have to be. Yeah, yeah, this, yeah I, I <laughs> yeah. This one I did do, guys. All right, but it was totally yeah, self-defense. <laughs> Look at the fucking cut I have on my shoulder. I didn't do that myself. That was done by her. And then she got her head cut off of the elevator. It was fucked up. You should have seen it when it happened. It's crazy. She puked all over herself. It was gross. Yeah, it's uh, some crazy hey, shit, guys. Sandwich and coffee? I'll take a cigarette. I'm in my gas But, yeah. So yeah. that, that's the that's deep red in a nutshell. And I'm so glad that you liked it because you know, I love this movie. I think it's a great example of a giallo done right by Argento. Oh yeah, it's and um, on top of all this, I, I also just want to say all of the settings were fucking beautiful in this movie. Like every yeah. every place that he chose chose to shot was just a great setting. Um, to, you know, from you know even, even the end with the elevator to how the apartments looked. Um. That that gr- those great shots that were done in front of the statue between Carlos and Marcus, um, yeah. the beautiful shots outside of the mansion, um, yeah, all, all of it. Like I just really enjoyed where he ch- chose to do his shots because I just really enjoyed the environment that he created for this world for this movie. Or even the uh, the message that you sent me on Facebook talking about the paintings that were used as inspiration. Yeah. Um, and it's there. If Nighthawks is one of my favorite paintings of all time, and it's there with the blue book. And then the other painting as well, done by the same artist. Like they show that in a yeah. tableau form in this movie. Yeah, and that was the other thing that Argento was going for again, because he was just in that Zen moment of writing the screenplay yeah. in five days. Was um, art imitating life, imitating art. You know, and he yep. it was all about fusing the arts. You know, bringing in the the music, bringing in the paintings. You know that, you know, it, he was trying to hit you on all sides of. You know, he's giving you the visual. He's gonna have um, lots of music f- for your ears, and he's gonna have lots of art ins- inspiring things for your eyes throughout this entire movie. You know, he he was trying to hit all the senses. Mhm. And it's interesting because next week, monkey, it is your pick. And we're staying in the exact same year of 1975. That was not intentional. That was not. That was definitely not intentional. Because (laughs) because I'm excited because this is a movie that I have loved since I was a kid that I tell everybody to watch at least once. So what is our pick next? 
All right, we are definitely staying in 1975. We are staying with 75. We are going with motorcycles. We are going with Peter Fonda. We are going with Satan worshippers because we are going with Wraith with the Devil. Hail Satan. Hail him. Hail Dark Lord. Wraith. Wraith with the Devil. (laughs) The Run Swift. Warren Oates. Peter Fonda, we have RVs, we have motorcycles, we have Satanic Panic, 1975. Oh, man, this movie has been a long time coming. I'm so glad that I asked you to pick this one. Because what a way to kick off 2020 than with a pick that's all about everything that could possibly be great about 1975 in America. <laughs> America. Yeah, oh, man, I, I, I'm di- <laughs> I, I'm digging it. I'm excited. This this is actually going to be my first time viewing, so you know we'll see how this goes. Oh, but yeah, uh, uh, after watching the trailers, I'm really excited about this movie, man. <laughs> I yeah, I grew up on this movie when I was a kid. My mother always had it on. When I told her that you oh. picked it, she's like, "Oh man," she's like, "Raising the devil." I was like, "Yep, we're doing it." She's like, "Oh man," she's like, "I've been waiting so long for you guys to talk about this movie." I was like, "Yeah, we're going to get there." 2020, that's the year. <laughs> but, Mikey, uh, before you sign off, why don't you hit us with a quick plug for the ghoul since he's not here. One of our sponsors on the show. Very nice, polite one uh, for going into the final moments of the show. All right. It, um, the holiday season is over, but still, you can still get your loved one something special. Go go to our sponsor, Bonfire Bee Designs, uh, where you can sit there and order. She has slews of stuff where you can order. You can go there and have custom stuff made um, because, again, you know, when you order stuff from her, she's happy. The ghoul is happy. We're happy because we have to deal with a happy ghoul. So, yeah, make sure you go to Bonfire Bee Designs on her Facebook page or at Etsy.com. And, yeah, check out her stuff, buy stuff, and we all end up happy. Okay, that's that's quick plug. Happy, clean, <laughs> wasn't, 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 wasn't dirty. <laughs> no, did it perfect. All right, so as we close out, again, guys, this is our last show for 2019. When we meet again next week, we'll be in 2020. So. For everybody at home, everybody listening, whether you're listening tonight live, whether you're listening tomorrow or the weekend, do me a favor in this final moment of the show. Raise a glass. Raise a glass for yourselves. Raise a glass for your husbands, wives, girlfriends, boyfriends, people that we've lost, people that are still here. Because the people that we've lost, they're sleeping eternally so that we can party here in the mortal realm. We're doing it for them. We've had friends that died. Jim Carroll said the best. He knows. So raise a glass for all those that are still here. Raise a glass for all those that have passed. Mm. Because we are going to go into 2020. We're going to do it so hard, so good. And mm. we're going to do it for everybody mm. that we've lost and everybody that's still here. Mm. So once again, babe, thank you so much <laughs> for being here with me to talk about Deep Red. I love you. And I can't wait until we talk about Race of the Devil next week. Absolutely, and I'm uh, your Mad Monkey saying thanks for listening to tonight's episode and letting me come in your ear. Good night, everybody. (laughs) So, until next we meet, Happy New Year, guys. Thank you so much for listening throughout this entire year. We love all of you. Check us out on Facebook.com slash Talking Terror. Check us out on Instagram. Check us out on iTunes, on Showbox, on Spreaker, wherever you find your podcasts. We're there. We have a couple likes. We have a couple reviews. 
you know, tell your family, tell your coworkers, tell your best friends, tell your enemy. We don't care. As long as they listen, we love you. So, thank you so much we don't once judge. again. So hail yourselves. Hail odorous. Hail Satan. Hail Geese. We'll see you next time. <laughs>